Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about advertising, branding, tech, media, politics, pop culture, just about everything because everything in the end is probably an ad. Uh, I'm Tim Nutt. I'm the creative editor at Adweek, and I'm filling in as host of the podcast this week for David Greiner, who's over in Amsterdam, uh, enjoying uh, his his time judging the Epica Awards this week, which are uh, trivia alert. They are the only major ad awards show judged by journalists. So that's cool. Uh, so David's over there looking at a bunch of ads um, that maybe he'll tell us a little bit about uh, next week when he's back. And hopefully he's not hitting the coffee shops too hard while he's there. Anyway, uh, I'm excited to introduce our panel for today. We've got Christina Monlos, staff writer, producer of the podcast, and a regular guest. Hey, Christina. Hey. Sorry, listeners, that you regularly have to deal with me, but hello. <laughs> not at all. Also, I'm thrilled to welcome uh, first-time podcast guest, Stephanie Paderick, Adweek's digital executive editor. Hey, Steph. Great to have you. Hey, Tim. Great to be here. And also joining us, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome back Alfred Mascaroni, Adweek's director of video and all-around content consumer and producer. Alfred, good to have you back on the show as well. Thank you for having me, Tim. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, one thing that's still on everyone's minds, obviously, which is Donald Trump's surprise election to the U.S. presidency. Uh, We'll talk about what brands and agencies have been doing in the wake of last Tuesday's unexpected results and what they might do in the coming weeks, months, and years, uh, in what ways a Trump presidency might affect their targeting and their messaging. Uh, We'll also talk about the the difficult week that Facebook has had since Election Day, and we'll learn a little bit about Snapchat's new spectacles and what that new device might mean for consumers and brands. And later in our big discussion of the week, we'll try to lighten the mood by talking about 2016's holiday ads. Yes, it's only the middle of November, but plenty of them are out, and we'll talk about which ones are sparkling presents and which ones are dirty, rotten lumps of coal. And along the way, we'll ask whether Christmas advertisers might have a harder time this year uh, getting people in a sentimental mood in the time of such up- upheaval. So all of that and more in the next hour, uh, but first, let's talk about the news. Okay, first up, let's talk about what impact Donald Trump's victory might have on the world of advertising. Uh, So it's only been a week, but already we've seen um, several uh, left-leaning brands like Ben & Jerry's and Airbnb. They've rolled out ads that continue their longtime narratives, which are diversity, empathy, acceptance of others. Uh, But other brands have been conspicuously silent on the topic of the election. Um, now, most brand, a lot of brands, as, as we all know, have come out sort of vocally in support of progressive causes in recent years. Now, this has either been because they really believed in those causes or, or it was a marketing tactic or maybe it was both. Um, thinking of brands like, like Google and Honeymade and Dove and P&Gs, Always. So these are brands that have been really supportive of diversity, of gender equality, of gay rights, and the list goes on. So, Steph, I'm wondering... 
I know these. I know everything's still pretty murky. It's only been a week. Um, but how do you think brands that have been doing this kind of messaging over the past few years? How do you think they're going to react to Trump's election? Do you think they're going to start questioning whether as many Americans as they thought uh, are ready to to embrace progressive views, or do you think uh, they'll be even more inclined to celebrate diversity going forward? I think it's a really interesting question, and it'll be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, I, th- I think that we're all finding that we have our imagined audience and then we have our actual audience. I know I've experienced this on Facebook where I tend to think that I'm speaking to people who, you know, have similar ideas and values and very quickly find out that, you know, I have a very diverse audience just, you know, on a platform like Facebook. And so I think that brands are struggling with that on a larger scale. Um, I think that those who have positioned themselves as progressive brands, um, obviously it will make more sense for them to, you know, take a public stance um, because it's in line with the brand values that they've already laid out. But, uh, you know, I I, I also think that... um, Brands are going to run into trouble if they come out for or against certain candidates. I think it's a little riskier to come out and say, hey, I think that, you know, Trump is is going to really lead us in the right direction, like, you know, a, a VP from New Balance did this week, took a lot of flack for that, versus a brand like Ben & Jerry's um, focusing more on the issue of, say, unity, and that we're better together. I think issues are going to um, be an easier sell right now versus candidates who can be pretty polarizing. Christina, what do you think about that? Do you think brands are... We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, the bubble that, that a lot of us have existed in. Are, are brands in a bubble where they maybe don't know the audience as well as they thought they did? I mean, I think if you looked at uh, actually Patrick's feature in, in last week's issue where it sort of talks about um, the agency hearts and sciences and how they can do this like hyper targeting that, you know, other media agencies haven't been able to do before. I think we are regularly learning that like a lot of the data that's been like, ooh, goldmine data, you're really going to know who is there. It's it's crap. Come on. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) a lot of this is just like, you know, um, pipe dream where you can like really, really, really know someone. I mean, prove me wrong. Honestly, send me an email. If you like really have the data, I want to see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you will find that a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of brands are, they end up being based in cities that maybe have more progressive views than a lot of the people who use their products. Um, that's not to say I don't think these brands should be, um, communicating these messages, but more that, you know, they're going to have to consider what their values are. I think we're all kind of considering what our values are right now. Brands are also going to be part of that. Yeah, so 60 million you know, votes for Trump, that's a pretty big, undeniable piece of data, right? If you want to talk about data. So what, what, what do brands do with that? Alfred, what do you think brands should do, you know, knowing that, um, that so many people uh, em- embraced a guy who basically you know, rejects a lot, a lot of progressive values? Well, I think that there's certainly some time that I think, you know, brands need to kind of, I guess, just assess what's happening in general. Um, I, I, you know, I think we're right. I think maybe there's a second, you know, a second polling that maybe even has to happen, whether that's just through market testing or whatever. But I think there certainly is a place for um, kind of recalibrating who the audience is. Um, you know, I, I I like to think that maybe brands will be will still continue to be as progressive as possible, but you know, we, we were talking about this earlier, like there's still a lot of tide being sold in, you know, in a lot of red states. Um, but I also make the argument there's still a lot of graham crackers being sold everywhere else. So like, you know, it's it, I don't know. <laughs> I think I think over the next year we're certainly going to see a lot of a lot of uh, recalibrating by brands or just kind of mm-hmm. continuing the course to see you know, what happens. But so far, it's murky. But um, yeah, what, 
That's my stance, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, sh- I do think we should clarify that in terms of New Balance, that was definitely like they were coming out against the TPP. That's why they were like, all right, Trump can do this because they're a company that like actually makes their shoes in America for the most part. And I think a lot of brands that are made in America and do re- reject the kind of globalization that Trump has come out against, they have a harder time actually being like, oh yeah Trump's cool um, because you know maybe they're more progressive about a variety of other issues that are near and dear to their consumers hearts but they don't like the TPP um, the Trans-Pacific Partnership if you don't know the TPP that'd be weird at this point Um, but yeah I mean I just wanted to clarify that point. Yeah, you know, the t- Alfred, you bring you bring up Tide, uh, which is a PNG brand, obviously, and that's an interesting case because in 2015 they aired a, a TV commercial in Canada uh, featuring a gay couple, and it's not something they've done in the U.S. And I think we we were so far along this path, and we were probably in our own bubble uh, as people covering this industry um, that you know it, it it had come to seem so normal for 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 that kind of diversity to be in a to, to appear in a commercial and, and i think we were all a little bit confused why png wasn't bringing this ad to the u.s and they never did air it in the u.s and they they, they said that they were thinking about it and they they sort of whenever we asked them about it over a period of months they said well yeah we're, we're looking at it along with some other stuff you know it never did air in, in the u.s eventually and 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 i think it, there's probably in light of trump's election maybe there's a good reason for that maybe there was you know, maybe they had their research that that said, you know, this is not what we want to say right now. And so I do wonder uh, if brands are going to, uh, the ones that are maybe on the fence, in other words, maybe this, this you know, sends them back in the other direction. Um, but then, you know, Steph, as you said, uh, brands that have already been down this road and, and, and diversity and equality and, and these progressive messages are part of their brand value already. Uh, it's going to be pretty hard for them probably to, to turn around. Um, you know, I wonder also, uh, maybe we could talk about what, what, what agencies might do uh, in the future. You know, we saw quite a few agencies during the campaign come out very explicitly uh, against Donald Trump. Do, do we think that's, you know, that kind of messaging will continue into his administration? What, what do you think, Steph? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I think that everything is up in the air right now as we're, as we're finding just in this conversation amongst ourselves. Um, I, you know, I, I I often question the impact that agencies taking a stance has. I mean, it it means a lot for us, you know, the people in the advertising world, but I don't know, um, you know, how much it means for people, you know, outside of the agencies. Um, you know, I personally thought that it was it was really cool to see an agency um, create uh, those those blue rings in support of progressive causes. But again, I wonder, you know, are we all just sort of like speaking in a bubble and speaking to ourselves? Um, you know, whereas the work that they do for their clients is going to have a bigger impact, um, you know, and, and kind of a, 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 lar- a larger reach. And it gets to the question of, you know, should brands and should agencies be trying to um, lead the conversation or should they be studying their audiences and trying to, you know, speak to people where they're at and, and give people what they want? And I think that a lot of agencies one way or another are going to be grappling with that question now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the agency you mentioned was Breakfast uh, out in Brooklyn, which made those those blue rings, and they were selling them for for twenty dollars each. And you can buy one to sort of at the same time signal your opposition to Trump, and then you also uh, the twenty dollars goes to support five nonprofits that are potentially threatened by his administration. And I do think along those lines, we are going to see. Um, more partnerships with nonprofits right now. I mean, I know just, uh, you know, individually, I know a lot of people who are reacting to the election by, um, by, you know, donating money to causes. I think it's a time where people are looking to take their feelings and, you know, place them into actions. And so I do think that we'll see a lot of partnerships like that with agencies and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Christina, do you think there's going to be a surge in, in cause, cause marketing as a result of this? I mean, I hope 
so <laughs> I, 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 I think there probably will be at the very least more agencies doing pro bono work for exactly the like um, the kind of nonprofits that Steph was talking about. I mean, I, I would not be surprised to, to see a bunch of that. And it's also it's it's a confusing time with that kind of work because that had been coming out of the White House. Uh, you know, even yesterday, Christine, our, our co-worker Christine, had written up a piece about the latest iteration of the It's On Us campaign from Mechanism, which is a partnership with the White House that deals with sexual assault awareness on college campuses. Is that going to continue during a president-elect Trump's reign? Uh, (laughs) That seems questionable. Um, But no, I mean, I I assume that the agencies that have been vocal are not going to stop when it comes to the next four years. If they do, I think that could be sending a bad message. If If they just like you know, we're touting progressive values just for the sake of the brand of their agency, that that would look bad. So I I hope we will see more. We shall see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the only thing I can add to that is that I wonder uh, the definition of the word progressive, I think hopefully is going to evolve where some parts of progressivism, is that the right way to progressivism, um, just become the norm, right? And, And I think if... I don't know, let's say a third of what being progressive is just becomes culture, then maybe we're okay. Um, not 100% okay, obviously, but um, maybe if we just keep adopting these little things that we just stop calling them progressive and it's just the status quo. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, if nothing else, I think, you know, having a, having a, an opposition in power, or having, having something to fight against if you are a brand or a cause uh, that wants to, to promote, you know, a more progressive agenda. You, you certainly have sort of something to, to fight against now, which maybe will, uh, you know, have, and creatively having that kind of tension in your messaging of, of sort of fighting the good fight against someone opposing you, you know, sometimes that can, that tension can lead to pretty memorable advertising, particularly if people are angry about what's happened. So I guess we'll see. And a lot of my artist friends have noted that, you know, some of, you know, the world's greatest art tends to come, you know, out of times of struggle. And so if you if you look at our industry as, you know, an artist industry, and certainly it's an industry of creatives, it could be a really interesting challenge. And, um, you know, there could be some really powerful and beautiful um, messages to come out of it. That's a good point. Um, let's move on to Facebook, which uh, also election related hasn't been a great week for Facebook. First of all, last Friday um, there was that glitch that uh, where a lot of users were getting memorial signs on their pages as though they had died when they hadn't, which <laughs> is not the kind of glitch that you really in a way we want all were. to have happen. <laughs> <laughs> the way everyone felt last week, or Current at least half the country. Um, and it's, but you know, more seriously, it's also been Facebook's also been under fire along with Google and some others for allowing fake news stories to spread on its site, which is really you know, this week it's really snowballed into a pretty big story and with some people claiming, you know, it might have even tilted the election. So wondering what you guys think, how serious of a problem is this uh, for Facebook, Christina, and what do you think the company should be doing about it? Well, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is feeling hopeful. He's feeling hopeful about the election. I don't know if you saw a status that he posted right after, but it was a picture of Zuckerberg and his daughter holding her, and he was, you know, excited about our our country and, and what it should be doing. I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg needs to take responsibility. Facebook as a company needs to decide whether it's a tech giant or it's a media company. You guys, it's it's a media well, company. Well, isn't, isn't the algorithm, you know, it makes editorial decisions, right? Right. And, you know, algorithms can save us, obviously. I mean, they do better work than humans. It's why we're seeing fake news all over the site. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, this week from Facebook is actually kind of ridiculous. Like, you can't you, you can't be a company that helps spread misinformation and then just be like, shrug? Like, okay, 
really? Like, I guess because you have Peter Thiel on your board and, you know, you're just trying to be chill. Yeah, I, th- I think <laughs> I Mark, know. I think Mark said, Mark called it a pretty crazy idea. That, and that's a direct quote that, that, that might have influenced the election in any way. Well, I mean, Facebook was a pretty crazy idea from Harvard. It's pretty crazy to like walk around in flip flops in a bathrobe. I don't know. This guy's the worst. <laughs> so, so, so when he said pretty crazy idea, he meant pretty interesting idea, not outlandish. Mm-hmm. I say, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, one of the big stories that, that was spread around Facebook was that Pope Francis had endorsed uh, Donald Trump. Um, which apparently about a million Facebook users in the U.S. had seen uh, before the election. So that was an example of, you know. What was that I, URL? I'm curious. Ridiculous.org you know, or what, what was it? <laughs> I think it was on the ridiculous.org URL, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it's, it is a serious problem. I don't, I don't know how, how Facebook counters this problem either. If there's, you know, if there's folks that are, are trying to spread fake news on the site, how does it even, you know, protect itself against that? I don't know. But they they had humans. They got rid of the humans. That's true. Then this was a problem. That's also, true. just want to note a fake news story that I've seen going around, which kind of just brings joy, is um, Mark Zuckerberg donated his sexual organs to charity from InfoCrash. And uh, the, the, the tag that they had for it was, wow, setting an example for our children. And they spelled R. A R E. So you know it's you know it's some primo news. Oh lord, that's that's just bad copy <laughs> editing. Well, Do you just put that on your on your on your driver's license, your you know organ donor, and you specify which one? Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead, Seth. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, piggybacking on what Christina was saying, as a user, to me, I don't know about you guys, but it was really noticeable when Facebook went from you know a new staff that was curating those trending topics to an algorithm, and I'm I found myself clicking on stories leading to, you know, clearly, clearly fake news sites and saying, you know, what, you know, what the heck? Um, And I think as journalists, we're all trained, you know, as reporters to, you know, fact check meticulously. As editors, we're trained to push reporters um, to verify their sources. Um, And I wonder what you guys think in terms of, you know, the general public, people who don't have a journalism degree, who don't work in this industry, when they click on that trending topic, do they have the tools to you know, to dis, you know, decipher what's what's fake and, and what's reputable. It's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people do know that at all. You know, look, just look at I, rule number one is to look at the URL every single time. Like, but but I, you know, we're we have the ability to discriminate. A lot of you know, average Jane and Joe, no idea that I don't know. I I can't come up with one of those URLs off the top of my head, but. You know, one of the ones that there's one that's uh, MSNBC dot like CU or something. It's like right. we're gonna we're almost there. We're almost real news. And when you click on them, even it's like the web design is terrible too. It's like you know, it's got you know National Enquirer esque you know bulging eyes and alien skulls and things like that all over the website too. It's kind of crazy. That being said, there are still like mainstream ish, you know, uh, liberal and conservative uh, websites that are you know, clickbaiting too. So, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be there to, you know, draw the lines. There's a, a nonprofit called the News Literacy Project um, that has basically sprung up out of this need to educate people about how to tell, you know, what is credible news and what isn't and how to be critical readers um, in, a, in an Internet era. And um, so they're, they're basically teaching kids how to, you know, how to tell you know, how to answer these questions that we're asking right now. So I think, you know, you, you can look at it. You know, to to what to what extent does Facebook have a responsibility to curate responsibly? Personally, I think they have a huge responsibility. Um, but also, you know, there are some other solutions here too in terms of education. But Facebook is cool, bros. They're just they're just hanging. They're just trying to like connect people. Well, that's I, the I thing. Know. That's the thing. Twitter's in the same boat. Like these are companies that really believe in their power for good. And, and it blinds them to some degree to, to their power for evil. I mean, they don't mean to be evil, but, the, but the, you know, trolling is such a huge problem on Twitter. And Twitter was really late to, to try to deal with that. Only, I think, just this week they're, they're starting to, you know, put concrete measures into place to try to deal with that. 
Uh, and Facebook, I mean, you know, you got to hand it to Zuckerberg. You know, he's a very generous person. He's a big philanthropist. He may, he does make a, you know, he does do a lot of good for the world. Um, but there's, it, it's undeniable that, that Facebook is being used for, for, uh, for nefarious means, I think. And, uh, you know, I think he almost, he almost needs to hire an army of, of real people to, to try to make sure that, that these things aren't happening on the site or at least to, to minimize them. Tim, that affects the margin. Hiring it more does. people affects the margin. But they have a pretty healthy margin last I checked. <laughs> I, I think they do. <laughs> I mean, there are Facebook employees who are like trying to go rogue and like help fix this. But um, I think, you know, this was something they could have addressed. They were aware that they could have addressed it. And then it would have appeared as though they had a liberal bias. So they didn't do it. All right. Well, on a lighter note, let's move on and talk about Snapchat and their new spectacles. Uh, this is a product that rolled out this week. Um, so, guys, what are these things and how useful will they be for people? Is, does anyone have a pair yet, first of all? Alfred? <laughs> I thought about hopping on a plane and getting going to Tulsa this morning, but um, to the big blue whale, and uh, I guess they're getting snatched up. No, I don't have one or a pair. Rather. Is, there, is there not uh, a machine... In, in New York, yeah? The, I have not seen or heard of one. No, I bet you it ends up in like Red Hook if it does, you know, someplace. At least get it, try to make it a little bit difficult to get to. Yeah, not Williamsburg. <laughs> so for those who haven't heard, these uh, the, the spectacles are being given out in these from these funky uh, vending machines, giant yellow vending machines with, with balloons on top, apparently. And uh, let's just talk a little bit about what spectacles are. Can someone, Christina, what are these things? Um, they are glasses that are trying to actually look cool, uh, (laughs) I guess as cool as you can make glasses that have, uh, cameras in them. And it's basically, you know, a POV shot, you know, it's as if you are looking through someone's eyeballs. Those are the shots that you're getting of things. Um, they're giant. They make people look like bugs. Um, just, just. (laughs) <laughs> That's about right. And the, the resulting images are like these weird circular Snapchatty videos, right? Yeah. They're, they, they, that's my issue with it, really, is like I don't think they serve any practical purpose. No. But then again, I'm not like, you know, on Snapchat all the time. Wait, can we just like pause for one second? Not like actually pause, but I just, the images that you saw of all of the people in uh on snapchat site who are like wearing the glasses and if if you have time you should look this up um they're all like the prettiest people you've ever seen they're all for some reason nude don't know why they're nude um and they look so dumb like they're (laughs) they're wearing these glasses and like they're all like buff or beautiful lipstick or just like perfect hair and they've got these bug glasses on. <laughs> it's from the shoulder up, but they're not totally nude. You I mean, don't know. <laughs> yes, that, that is true. That's true. Maybe they're trying to say that spectacles are designed for a nudist colony. Maybe this is the real message. That... That's where they should dump those machines, yeah. But anyway, let's get back to... Well, I assume, that, Sorry, I assume they're trying to position it as sort of the anti-Google Google Glass, right? Which was a giant flop and was seen as like super nerdy. So there must be some kind of cool factor they're going for uh, just to just to brand these things as something completely the opposite of Google, Google Glass, I assume. I mean, I think they're trying to make an AI play somewhere down the line. I, I don't know when that happens in, in the immediate future, but, you know, building up hype, that's a, that's a you know, one way to do it. I do think the, the aesthetics are interesting and the way that they're branding these are interesting because you can tell they are trying to totally position it in a different way than Google Glass, which, as you said, Tim, we're sort of seen as these nerdy things. So the fact that these are sunglasses and not, you know, eyeglasses, you know, I think they're, they're trying to be cooler in that sense. Um, I would personally be more willing to wear a pair of snap glasses than I would Google Glass. I oh, think also come on. just. <laughs> I mean, I guess given the two the alternative, right? Okay, yeah, it, it, right. Lesser of two evils, um, and I think that even 
you know, selling them in a vending machine is a really interesting option. I mean, it's very, you know, kind of reminds me of being in Tokyo where you can get all kinds of crazy things from a vending machine. And I think that they're picking up on that a little bit. But uh, Alfred, you were mentioning just what the actual videos look like. And some, I don't know about you, but some of them did make me nauseous. It kind of tilts from vertical to horizontal in some cases. And so um, it'll be interesting to see if people actually, you know, enjoy the videos that come out of these. I don't want to be thinking about a lesser of two evils ever, um, especially after the last week. But definitely when it comes to glasses, no. Poor no, language no. choice on my part. Too soon. If you're, if you're like, a, like an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old, you could, I, would, I could totally see that. Maybe they're just not for us. They're for little kids. And they're, you know, put it on a little kid and imagine they love the crap out of those spectacles. Does anyone here know teens? Like, are they into these? <laughs> I, I, have, I have to call my nephew. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know a teen. I... <laughs> <laughs> Should we all adopt a teen? No. Um, hey, Tim, what about your, your children? Have, what, what is their... My children don't know what Snapchat is, much less spectacles. As they they're too young for that. My good, oldest is good eight. Par- so. Good parenting. Um, but I think these things are being marketed pretty well. You know, the idea of you know ultra exclusive, super cool vending machine that's only in Oklahoma somewhere. I mean, that's pretty cool. And, and the fact that they only do one thing and they're super simple. They only create these ten second videos, and that's all they do. You know, that's smart. I mean, especially after the disaster that was Google Glass and even Apple Watch was underwhelming because it was so, you know, it was, you know, Snapchat's really zeroing in here on simplicity, which is what Apple used to do so well. And, you know, I don't think they have to be, they can be, if, if they're so simple technologically, they can, they're, they're allowed to be more of a fashion statement, I think. So I think that's kind of cool. It's a cool idea. I think it's pretty sophisticated marketing, marketing plan for it, actually. And we've seen a couple agencies use them to kind of give uh, give viewers an inside look at their agencies, which which is interesting. I I, I think um, I'll be fascinated to see how brands and agencies use these going forward. But I think they are good for an inside look um, at certain things. I'm not so much a fan of the you know strap it to you know motorcycle. Um, you know, or or uh, or biker car or something like that. I, I I'm more interested in you know seeing something behind the scenes, which for agencies and influencers and celebrities could be an interesting tool. Very cool. Well, for more on spectacles, check out adweek.com. Lauren Johnson did a story for us a few days ago about uh, six examples of how marketers are using the spectacles. So that's already out, and uh, yeah, we'll have to see we'll have to see whether these things catch on or or. Or, uh, you know, die in flames like so many other tech gadgets of recent years. All right, that's it for news. Let's move on to ads worth watching. So this is a bit of a fake out because we're not actually going to talk about ads worth watching in this section because later in the show we're going to talk a lot about all sorts of holiday ads. So instead, for for this section, uh, for this edition of ads worth watching, I did want to just throw a, a plug, a new video series we're doing. Uh, called Best Ads Ever on adweek.com. So Alfred, uh, you and I have been working on these videos together. Uh, Tell us what they're all about. So the premise of Best Ads Ever is uh, interviewing uh, the, I guess, the creative directors and the creative creative class and finding out sort of what they think are their favorite ads ever and sort of what their influences are um, in making what they make. Um, And also, I guess, having them uh, weigh in on what um, what influence and sort of what advice they've been given um, throughout their careers. And it's, a, it's actually a really fascinating uh, look into um, these men and women's minds, um, some of the more creative people in the world, honestly. Um, so those have started to roll out um, this week and last week, and uh, people tend to like them. Yeah. I love the skepticism that you had just then, what they think their favorite ads are. It's like, well, well maybe these are their favorites. Who knows? No, it's well, great. They're fun videos, though. Yeah. Yeah, we just did one. We just published one this week with Trey Laird of Laird & Partners. He talks a little bit about uh, the gap work that he's so famous for from a decade ago. And more recently, he's been working with Tom Ford, which is super cool. And last week, uh, we spoke to Kevin Brady over at Droga5, and we've also, um, previous to that, I think we did half a dozen of these or so, um, sort of late summer, early fall, uh, with people like Jamie Robinson over at Joan Creative, uh, Pum Lefebvre at Design Army, uh, Malcolm Poynton at Chile, and uh, Jay Benjamin 
who's at now at Matezik Hoffer. So anyway, we wanted to mention best ads ever. Keep keep a lookout for those. We've got more coming with Jeff Goodby, with the guys from Johannes Leonardo, with Will Gellner from 180, Tiffany Rolfe, lots of other people. So keep an eye out for those on adweek.com. And now for our big discussion of the week. All right, guys, let's talk holiday ads. Which ones we love, which ones we don't. I know as we recorded this, it's only November 15th, but we've got probably at least a dozen out so far. Uh, Maybe we can talk first about the John Lewis commercial. Now, as everybody knows, England for the last five years or so has become... Uh, sort of the the place to go to see great Christmas commercials. And this all started with a John Lewis spot, actually, back in, I believe it was 2010 or 2011. And it was called The Long Wait. And it was a beautiful spot uh, about a kid who can't wait for Christmas. And I'm going to probably spoil it for you guys here. Uh, At the end, it turns out that he wasn't waiting to get presents, but he couldn't wait for Christmas because he wanted to give a present. And it was such a simple idea. And it was one of the really great spots. And ever since then, John Lewis has sort of been the go-to marketer for um, for Christmas advertising. Uh, and then, of course, famously, two years ago, they did Monty the Penguin, which is, I would say, probably the best Christmas commercial ever made, I, I would say. And it was about a boy who had a penguin as a best friend. And there's also a twist at the end of that one that was pretty adorable. I'm sure everyone's already seen that. So anyway, going into 2016, the, the John Lewis spot uh, was the one that was you know, far and away the most anticipated. And it rolled out a few days ago. And it's a story of a boxer, a dog, a, a boxer named Buster, who uh, basically his, his, he lives in a family. And the, uh, the parents on Christmas Eve, uh, they, they set up a trampoline in the backyard for, for their daughter, who loves to jump on the bed. And in the middle of the night, uh, all these animals come from around the neighborhood. It's actually a, kind of a crazy uh, neighborhood for wildlife, apparently, because all these uh, crazy animals come in and jump on the trampoline, and, and Buster watches them from inside, and he can't get out. And uh, and the kicker is at the end, uh, the girl, you know, comes out Christmas morning and is all set to jump on the trampoline, and Buster beats her to it and, and jumps up and down on the trampoline. So wanted to see what you guys thought of this, uh, this commercial. It's definitely a little bit of a change. Last year's John Lewis ad was called Man on the Moon, and it was about a, a lonely man on the moon who connects with a girl on Earth. And it was a lovely spot, but it was, it was deemed a little bit sad maybe for some people. And after 2016, which has been so rough in so many ways on so many people, I think John Lewis kind of wanted to, to lighten the mood and, and really just do something fun. Uh, so what did you guys think of this? Did you think it was a, a good spot? Did it, did it pay off for you guys after, after the, the difficulties of the year? Yeah, it was like the only one I, I really liked in the ones that we're going to talk about because the joy of a dog is something I can really connect with right now, whereas like the need for consumerism is a bit hard to swallow. Um, but like seeing a, a dog jump on a trampoline is exactly what I wanted. Also, I think John Lewis ads are so successful because of their attention to detail. There's a moment like, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, there's, there's a bit where you like, you see this girl jumping on a bed and then you see why her parents would want to get her a trampoline. It's like, oh, okay. There's like an actual narrative there. That's pretty chill. Um, but even within the spot, there's a moment where her dad is putting together the trampoline and he like hurts himself a little bit when he's putting the pieces of metal together. And that's just like such a human moment where like you see that and you're like, oh man, I have been hurt by pieces of metal coming together many times. (laughs) Also, Um, newsflash, Santa is not real according to this. Great. (laughs) Great. That was a bit of a, there was some criticism of the spot in England that it, it told kids that uh, Santa wasn't real. Although I always understood, as I always understood it, Santa brings some of the presents, but not necessarily all of the presents. I think that, I think that this ad was kind of brilliant because you can, you can read a lot into the metaphors and it seems like different people are reading different things. I mean, I know that one columnist in the UK, you know, said it, the ad really traumatized him because he was seeing it as being a commentary on on Trump and Hillary and that, you know, Trump, the animal, the dog gets to go jump on the trampoline and the <laughs> little girl, Hillary, doesn't get to go jump on the trampoline. And so um, I, I think it's interesting, even more so than the ad itself, is people's interpretations of the ad. Um, that was my favorite. Yeah. That was my favorite reading of the ad as well, which was 
to be fair, the guy did say, maybe I'm reading too much into this at the beginning. Right. <laughs> There's some that. self-awareness there. That's, that's I did, a good hedge, yeah. yeah it, something interesting, too, just a little tidbit, is that in the, uh, the Penguin ad from a couple of years ago, there's a scene with the boy jumping on a very similar trampoline with his penguin. And in this ad, the girl doesn't join the dog. And I really found myself asking, like, what, what is it trying to say that the girl doesn't, doesn't join the dog on the trampoline? Yeah, that was a bit of a twist at the end, right? She looks mad. And having yeah, the having like, the little girl be mad on Christmas morning is kind of a funny a funny yeah. thing. Funny decision. It was a less decision. a less sentimental ad than than they usually put out, which might be fitting for, you know, f- for the mood right now. Yeah, it's I mean, true. Maybe little girls are mad right now. <laughs> maybe they just knew little girls would be mad right now. I don't know. Too I dark. Mean, I don't want to read that much into it. <laughs> So, but it raises a good issue, which is that, you know, the, the atmosphere right now um, in England as well as the U.S., I mean, we've had the election, which has been so divisive. And England, of course, over the summer had Brexit, which was also a- as divisive as, as the U.S. election has been. And I'm wondering if, you know, if people are even open to, you know, simple, fun, lighthearted messages right now, if it is an escape for them or if they just, or if in, in some ways it's harder to d- suspend your disbelief um, at an ad like this or, or any sentimental advertising. Everyone in here is not, is uh, shaking their head. <laughs> Everybody's going, no, that, that's, that is the note that I had in here is suspension of disbelief was the, my number one note is that, you know, I think once I was able to do that, which was about, I don't know, a third of the way or a halfway through the spot, I kind of started to be like, okay, yeah, sure, this can, this is great. I'm I'm I surrender. Okay, but. okay. Well, that's that explains the comments under my story about this ad, which were not very fond of me personally. <laughs> so so go find the story on adweek.com and check out the the disaster area that is the comments if you if you want a good laugh. Can we talk about those Lexus ads? Can we talk yes. about those for a second? <laughs> of course. My notes on these are I, we can't read them on the air. I'm struggling with these more than any other. <laughs> so Lexus has been running December to remember its its sales event forever and ever and ever. And the key visual, of course, is the the giant bow on the Lexus, which apparently actually happens. Some people actually put giant bows on on the Lexi that they buy for their for their loved <laughs> ones. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think of that campaign? What, first of all, tell us about describe the new ads and and how you felt about them, Christina. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, basically, the premise of each ad is that these uh, adults have taken little children and been like, yo, your Christmas wish, it's actually for me. You're going to say you want a Lexus. You're going to say you want it with this interior. And then I'm going to get it. And then the kid's just like, yay, I'm happy you got the car you wanted. What? What is that? Like, how is that a thing? Dear Santa, I've been a very good girl this year. I would like a Lexus. G. GSF, let mommy help. I've always struggled with these commercials. For starters, just as, you know, like a middle-class person from Phoenix, Arizona, I'm wondering who in the world gets or gives a car for Christmas? You must be out there but I'm not one of them. Um, and, and second of all, you know, in the past, these ads were usually, you know, a husband giving the car to his wife or a wife surprising her husband. But this year, the twist is that the kids are kind of co-opted <laughs> into, this, um, into this materialism. And I think that for that reason, they didn't sit as well with me. I think there, there are maybe five spots. And the one that I liked the most is where the kid says, okay, I want a Lexus and a puppy. And at least the kid gets a puppy. I mean, good for the kid. Like, good for the kid. Like, I I just don't understand the thinking from the agency's perspective or, or the brand's perspective where they're like, okay, we're going to have these adults appear to be conniving and, like, be like, and, you know, just, like, bump a small girl out of the way and start writing her, like, Christmas letter for her. What? What? Like I'm I'm still I'm flabbergasted that this is an idea that went so far as to be something I'm seeing with my eyeballs. That's where I am with these. I'm not surprised at all by any of these. Is there an explicit language warning on this um 
particular podcast that we're recording? Uh, you can go ahead and swear if you uh, like. No, I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> I, I, my notes on these are just uh, makes me hate giant bows. Uh, number two <laughs> is parents are dicks. Three is make it stop in all caps and then seriously in all caps question mark. That, that's all, all right. I have. Yeah. Wait, okay, also so. that there's one where it's it's like, oh, she's like the little girl is spending time with her aunt. And then the the mom goes, but she hates kids. And it's like, it's like, what? Come on. Like, I don't really like kids that much besides like the people I know who have kids. Their kids are cool. I like your kid. Um, but, but like, I'm not going to take a kid and be like, okay, let's go see Santa. And now you're going to tell Santa that I want a car. I'm still so offended by this concept. <laughs> it's a pretty dark message for kids. Like the adults just, you know, want you for the gifts. They want you for your line to Santa. <laughs> well, people have always kind of despised. Uh, if you're not part of the 1%, I think you, you generally are compelled to despise Lexus Christmas advertising. But also if you so. are per, part of the 1%, like how many people actually want Lexus cars? Lexi. I mean, everyone wants a Lexus, don't they? Now I don't. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to another one that I thought was actually pretty fun. It was the Xfinity spot from 72 and Sunny where uh, they talk about Grandma's house and how awful Grandma's house is because she never has Wi-Fi and she doesn't have any good TV. My Grandma's house is straight medieval. She's got no Wi-Fi. Pound sign, not so merry Christmas. Entering the gates of hell where there's no Wi-Fi and no shows. AKA Grandma's. What does she mean? I don't know. She means that we're not up to date. Really? And so 72 and Sonny went to actually they went to a bunch of different grand, sets of grandparents. And you see this at the beginning of the ad. And it's almost like they're reading mean tweets because they were um, essentially they were reading, I think, um, things that their grand, their grandkids had said about them and about their house and how they don't like coming over because, you know, there's, it's so low tech that you can't even get online and all that stuff. Uh, so they basically, and then, uh, 72 and Sunny took, um, one family, one grandma, and they really outfitted her house with great Wi-Fi and, and, you know, the, the great, whatever, whatever souped up TV Xfinity offers and, uh, essentially everyone is like super happy that the family suddenly is all connected and everyone's happy at the end because of Xfinity making grandma's house a wonderful place to be because of, because of technology. Did this, this, I found this was pretty well done, but did you guys felt like this rang true or did it seem a little bogus to you? Christine is shaking her head. I, I personally, I personally loved it. I mean, I, I thought it was so clever to riff on Jimmy Kimmel's, you know, celebrities meet, read mean tweets. I think having grandparents read mean tweets about them was pretty hilarious. And then after watching the spot, finding out that these were actual grandparents reading actual mean tweets from their grandkids was funny. And and the folks from 72 and Sunny, I think, commented in our in our article on Adweek that uh, the funniest part for them was how pissed these grandparents got on, you know, when they read these these tweets. They were truly offended by it. And they thought that there was a really nice arc because the spot comes full circle at the end when the granddaughter, you know, takes a photo of of her grandmother. There's there's a framed photo of her grandmother from when her grandmother was younger and, you know, this beautiful young woman. And the granddaughter takes, you know, snaps a photo of that photo and posts it on Instagram and tells her grandma it got 75 likes. And so I thought that that was a, a really nice arc that, you know, something that was dividing them, you know, this, this online culture ended up bringing them together. Um, but Christine, I'm curious to know what you think. I mean, you're not wrong. I, I appreciate your take. I think that it was clever. It was funny. It's also terrible. Like, turn off the internet for a day. Are you kidding me? You can't deal with being offline to hang out with your parents on a freaking holiday? <laughs> I hate teens, apparently, is what's coming out. <laughs> because it's just like, that's bonkers to me. Like, stop complaining about this. What? Yeah, I like pound, I mean, pound sign. Not so merry Christmas is my favorite line in the whole thing. I want I I've, pound sign should be the new hashtag. 
what Alfred is referring to is that the grandparents, some of them didn't understand what a hashtag was. And so when they read the tweets, they read pound sign. That's awesome. You know, this ad in some weird way reminded me of the old uh, Apple spot, which was called Misunderstood. I think it was from 2013. And I mean, that was, you know, one of the great, great Christmas ads ever. And it also dealt with technology at Christmas time. And that ad was basically about a kid who is on his phone the entire time during Christmas. And you think he's just kind of being antisocial for, for most of the spot. You think he's just kind of playing around like, like, you know, reading his texts and whatever. Um, turns out the, the great twist at the end of that ad was that he was uh, secretly sort of recording his family um, for a video that he wants to make for, for them at the end uh, that they all sit down as a family and watch. So it's this kid that everyone thinks is kind of disconnected and morose, turns out to sort of be the one who really brings the family together. And I wouldn't suggest that the Xfinity ad is in anywhere near that that level of quality, but it had, it had a little bit of that aspect to it, I thought, where... You know, the girl shares the, the takes the photo of the grandmother and shares it on Instagram at the end of the Xfinity ad. I thought that was a sweet it moment. Still, still cracks on her though, right? She goes, "This one got a hundred likes," and she goes, "Really?" And she goes, "Just kidding." Doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, she does. I think she does. Yeah. I think she does. God. She ruins it at the end. But also, also, that's a that's a sweet moment. Sure, fine, whatever. She's using her grandma's pics to get likes on Instagram. Like, let's not. She she's trying to appear as though she's really having a close relationship with her grandma. The entire bit is like, oh, we can't hang without technology. Now we have this TV and we can watch TV while we're here together. I can't. It's not the same. It's not. I the do same agree the that Apple there's ad. a there is a there is a fundamental disconnect in in the Xfinity that that having more technology will will bring you closer. I don't think that's true. I think the I think the Apple spot was so clever in the way that it that it that it made that point that it could potentially bring you closer, but I don't think it in reality that it really does either. I think we're all reacting to the fact that both of these ads are very aspirational. It shows you that what technology could do, it could perhaps connect us, but we all know in reality, um, you know, it often does separate us. So that's there's a little bit of discomfort that as a viewer you have to have to sit with. Yeah, suspending disbelief mm-hmm. in a serious way. Um, let's talk about the Marks and Spencer commercial, maybe with um, from RKCR YNR over in England. This is an interesting take on on Mrs. Claus, uh, who doesn't get a lot of screen time in Christmas commercials usually. Um, what did you guys think of that one? I could, I could run down the plot a little bit. It's essentially uh, Santa goes off on his uh, Christmas Eve escapades to uh, he he. he he insults uh, Australia briefly before he does before he does so, uh, which I'm sure the Brits will enjoy. Uh, but then, I think a, a, a kid somewhere in England has written a letter to Mrs. Claus, um, and she ends up sort of going to fulfill this one boy's wish. And, and, and she's got such a better setup than than Santa and his sleigh. She's got sort of a James Bond. Uh, I think she's on a snowmobile at first, and then she gets in this big red helicopter. And kind of flies over London, and it's clear that she uh, has a lot, a lot better uh, gadgetry than than Santa does. Uh, what did you, What did you guys think of this ad? I thought it was kind of a funny take on uh, on female empowerment uh, genre. In fact, I I thought it was too. I mean, I think I think there was you know there were some feminist undertones in it. Um, I don't know if the ending quite fulfills fulfills that but um you know the, the fact that we see mrs claus as you know this woman she's in this like great power dress suit and like you said tim she she flies off in a helicopter um and that's juxtaposed with seeing you know the traditional santa claus he's like in his like red frumpy suit and he goes off in his sleigh um when when she you know pulls up to the house she looks at the chimney and kind of like smirks or laughs like you know like what an idiotic way to enter a house and she just goes through the front door um but the the ending for me i I really love the the spot but the ending you know she comes back home and she gets back into her normal clothes and you know santa claus comes back and is none the wiser that you know she's been off doing these good deeds and that she's such a powerful woman and i'm wondering why mrs claus has to like operate so secretly She's reading Fifty Shades of Red, nonetheless. That's the book on her on her chest there. Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, women can be powerful. They just can't take credit for it. Obviously, that's the message. Right. It, it kind of... Particularly to their husbands. 
mm-hmm. it kind of smacked that that idea of you know behind every powerful man is a powerful woman or something along those lines, which you know it's a it's a step towards feminism, but not not quite all the way there. I only like this ad because the actress reminded me of like a cross between Emma Thompson and Helen Mirren, and I was like, for that, I will watch this. Other than that, eh. It was really well made. I mean, we haven't talked much about the directors that, that work on these. This one was directed by Tom Hooper, who um, he's an Oscar winner. I think he directed um, The King's Speech. Was that the one that, that he directed? I think it was. Did anyone actually so see direct- The King's Speech? Did you see it? I, I did. I did. Yeah. Was it good? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, this one was really well made. And, and, you know, the John Lewis ad was directed by Dougal Wilson over at Blink. And that guy is probably the best director working today in England. It's, it's between him and Ring and Language. Um, but he directed, Dougal Wilson also directed Monty the Penguin back in 2014, and he directed The Long Wait, which was the original sort of really famous John Lewis ad. So they keep going back to the same guy, and I think those two ads were just masterpiece of uh, production-wise. Um, all right, what else can we talk about? The Spanish Lottery, maybe. Uh, they had such a big hit last year with Justino, which was that... Uh, the, the animated uh, classic from Leo Burnett, Madrid, that won so many awards. Uh, this year, they kind of went in, in a little bit of a different direction. They they in, invented the storyline where this uh, grandmother, a lot of grandmothers in Christmas ads this year, this, this grandmother believes that she's won the, Chris, the Spanish Christmas lottery, when in fact she's looking um, at, at TV footage of last year's drawing. So she has the winning number, but it's not this year's winning number. And so she goes to tell her family, and, and her family can't doesn't have the heart to sort of tell her that, that she's wrong. So they, they basically invent this elaborate uh, series of events where she gets interviewed on television, and, and, and they throw a big party for her. And uh, it's got an, a cute little twist at the end. Um, did this one do anything for you guys? I know, Christina, you probably hated it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually did not hate this one. The only thing I disagree with is the the idea that someone would use last year's lottery numbers. No one would do that. Who does that? If you do that, I'm sorry. That's stupid. Um, no, this one actually got me a little bit. I liked it. Um, I liked the idea that all of these people will buy into this lie just so that they don't have to break bad news to this woman. I mean, I can I can get behind that. I feel like uh, I feel I feel like that's what we do every day to ourselves <laughs> and to our grandparents. I don't know. That I, I thought know. there was a whole mental health. I guess there still is a mental health thing here, but I thought that was you know. It seemed really dark to me. I thought, yeah. I thought, I thought really yeah. dark to me. Sorry. Yeah, it's definitely shot in a very dark way, and it's it's got the. Uh, I was I was just wondering, like, oh, you're going to build her up even more and more, and you're going to eventually have to let her down. And they sort of skillfully, I think, handled that at the end, which was kind of cool. Well, I like I liked the idea that it was like, oh, she's confused, but is she confused? Oh, wait, she knows she's in on this. She's letting you guys throw this party together. So it's all about like this woman kind of maybe skillfully maybe not just like being like family it's important celebration it's important we love each other how about some lobster what about this lighthouse i mean eh, i i liked it it's all right play play the lottery this year mm-hmm. the same thing might happen to you yeah the end people might care about you if you win money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the champagne is overflowing <laughs> And speaking of dark, let's talk about the Pizza Hut commercial oh uh, with the snowman. Does anyone want to explain what that one's about? And no one else. Pizza is uh, the hut. How is yeah? This, this is the new Droga Five campaign. <laughs> Sorry, uh, it, isn't it from Droga? Isn't this one from Droga? Yes, Droga Five campaign. Uh, latest holiday spot execution in that where I don't even know what happens in it. What happens in it? It's a, a snowman. Snowman melts. Snowman melts. The right. End. That's about it. I mean, there's some weird back and forth, but then the snowman just kind of melts. Yeah, I think it takes place in a pizza hut, and someone has ordered like a family pack, so they've got yeah. two pizzas, and yeah. they've got breadsticks and a cookie situation, and uh, and the snowman's there. Is he going to deliver it? I'm not sure why the snowman is there, but he suddenly realizes he's you know in a pizza hut near the ovens, and he's melting, 
And at the very end of it, the kicker is he says, no one out pizzas the hut, which (laughs) honestly, this might place this ad in the realm of the so bad it's good. Like I did actually laugh out loud at the end of that ad, despite myself. I mean, I thought it was a terrible ad, but I don't know, Alfred, so bad it's good or so bad it's bad. I I don't like the word pizza as a verb. I I don't know. Maybe I do. I I, I kind of, I want to get my pizza on afterwards. I don't really know. <laughs> my, my biggest issue, my biggest issue with the ad is that you know, in, in a post Olaf world, snowmen are not supposed to melt. That's right. Right. So that that was you no know, traumatic, slightly traumatic. Did you guys ever see that short film, The Snowman, from years ago? It was like late '80s. No. That is a much better snowman to to spend your time with. It's a there's no voiceover in it. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Okay. Holiday ads really crushing it this year from what from our conversation. <laughs> Can we talk about the Aldi thing? The 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 uh, insane carolers? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Aldi Aldi Australia, uh I believe it's a grocery store in Australia, um did a commercial where the worst Americans ever show up for Christmas and they basically are the loudest uh, rudest, most bizarre people ever. They reminded me of the folks in the Folgers Happy Mornings commercial, the insane sort of sun ghosts that show up at the beginning of that ad. Uh, these were sort of real-life versions of that, and it was, they were horrifying. Uh, but that was kind of the point, I guess, that... that uh, I, I, what was the point of the, the end of that spot, actually? That you want to have Christmas in Australia, that Christmas in Australia is better than in the U.S. because... You can rip off the sleeves of your sweater and swim eat. and eat seafood. I- and fudge. Yeah. Fudge, yeah. I fudge watched all too. those. I mean, I kind of laughed the whole time. They're pretty funny. We bring you a Merry Christmas. We bring you a Merry Christmas. Because this is a Merry Christmas. You Aussies are weird. <laughs> a real Christmas we bring to you and your kin. A real Christmas. 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 I don't know. This one to me was like nails on a chalkboard. Like the family, I mean, the, the point was to create an obnoxious American Christmas family and it succeeded in that, but it was really, really hard to watch. And, uh, you know, the me- I mean, the message was that I think, you know, Americans try to push this certain version of Christmas on where there's caroling and, and bad Christmas sweaters and, a, you know, a certain kind of meal. Um, and, and in the end, the Australians went out and convert the Americans and show them that, you know, a more, a more chill, laid back Australian style Christmas is the way to go. But as an American, too, it felt a little like being kicked while we're down. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you like Tim and Eric and their style of like nails on a chalkboard but funny and awkward and like you, you know that's the thing. Like those old spice ads as well. It's like nails on a chalkboard but it's clever and so you kind of like it. It's it's like uh, that remember that sound I'm dating myself but there's a sound garden video Black Hole Sun. Do yeah. you guys remember that video where like the there's like a really cherry family and they just melt? Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. So we are running out of time, but I did want to mention uh, a few classic Christmas commercials that we've been enjoying uh, at Ad Week over the past few days while getting ready for this podcast. Uh, Alfred, there's one from Corona that's been running for 25 years or so that's one of your favorites, right? Yeah, the O Town and Palm. Uh, you know, it, it's a very, there's a 15 second spot and a 30 second spot, and they both do the same thing. Um, it's, the, it's the one with the, you know, the palm tree and the, and the, little, the little hut and the guy whistles O Tannenbaum and then the lights in the Christmas tree go on and that's the end of the commercial. Oh, it says Feliz Navidad at the end. But that thing has been going on forever. It's such a great spot and I never get tired of it every single year. I want to grab myself a Corona. It's so smart very, very because Corona is a drink that I always associate with summer and then when that ad starts popping up, I'm like, oh yeah, I can drink it at Christmas too. <laughs> you know? And the palm tree with the lights is a good visual for that. Yeah, very, very simple. Uh, another one is the Hershey's Kiss commercial, which has also been running for years and years and years, uh, where they have the different uh, the different Hershey's Kiss candies uh, and their bells, and they do a little Christmas carol. Is it Jingle Bells? I'm not sure. We That's wish also... you a Merry Christmas. <sighs> yeah. I can't remember the song, but the ad's very Neither memorable. of these ads have any words in them. That's the best part. Well, you know, that's a good point. Almost all the ads we've talked about today don't have any words which is remarkable you know it's at christmas time it's almost like you just have to show 
some kind of narrative without without any dialogue. Anyway, uh, one old one that we were also chatting about that does have dialogue is the M and M's commercial where the two M and M's surprise Santa when he's when he's putting the gifts under the tree and the and Santa ends up fainting, which is a great one too. And my favorite, actually, I don't know if any of you guys remember this. It was Amazon.com, the Sweatermen ads from 1999. And they were so good. They were done in uh, Mitch Miller style. So like those variety shows from the, uh, from the 50s and 60s. I'm not exactly sure when they aired, but they had all the guys in, in sweaters kind of singing songs. And they were super earnest. And Amazon, uh, in 1999, through Foot Conan Belding, actually, created this campaign that was kind of a parody of Mitch Miller show and it was so funny and it was the songs were so well written and actually maybe we'll just play a snippet of one of them right now to enjoy the the considering we didn't love that many of this year's ads maybe this one from 17 years ago uh, will put a smile on your face Amazon.com has tons of toys every ton weighs 2,000 pounds that's a lot of toys every shape size color and style of toys Okay, so that's our show for today. Uh, a lot of holiday advertising still to come, so keep an eye out for that. We'll post all the new spots on adweek.com. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at adweek.com, and we might read your note on an upcoming episode. Uh, coming soon, we don't have a print issue uh, this coming Monday uh, on the 21st of November, but we do have an issue on the 28th of November, uh, which is our hot list issue. Uh, hot list voting is actually closed right now, but um, keep an eye out for those winners. That should be a, a cool issue. Our theme music is by home. This week's episode was produced by Christina Monlos and edited by Kevin Eck. Thank you, Christina, and thank you, Kevin. If you can, please take a moment to leave a review of our show on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. I didn't have to wrap your gift. I didn't leave the house. In fact, I never saw your gift. I did it all by house. I didn't venture to the ball. I didn't waste a day. I didn't have to park the car. You're welcome anyway. I didn't even write the card. But you'll know who it's from. Your thoughtful friend who's still in bed. Thanks to Amazon.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.